This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this improvised version of the Imperfect Buddha podcast. In fact, This might be the quickest show I've ever put together. That doesn't mean I haven't put some effort into it, or that it's not going to be useful. At least that's always my hope. And that's especially so in the time of the coronavirus. Now, as many of you know, I am based in Italy, and Italy is currently suffering the worst situation so far of all countries that have been affected by the coronavirus, or COVID-19. And it's not going so well over here, I'll be quite frank with you. We had seven plus, 700 plus people die on Saturday, and uh, the number of infections is uh, going up, not down. I am in my 13th day of quarantine with my family, and as the process has gone on of the quarantine, it's got more and more stringent in terms of controls and consequences. Many of our experts are making the point that Italy is one or two weeks ahead of much of the rest of the Western world. So we're starting to see Northern Europe now getting to where we were about a week ago, and Britain and Ireland, Canada and North America seem to be a couple of weeks behind where we're at. So you may find some of the information in this podcast useful. Some of the themes that uh, I'll be talking about briefly are really themes that we faced already here in Italy. And I can see in the news, both from Britain and America, the kind of the things that were going on a couple of weeks back here. In spite of the globalized world we live in and the fast-moving information, humans are creatures of habit, and we do seem to keep repeating the same mistakes. And the first one really, um, well, it can be summarized in this phrase, do not mistake the coronavirus with a mere annoyance. Now, as you enter the quarantine, you may experience it as such, the urge to go back to work, the urge to be able to go out in the park and do whatever you would normally do. Well, that feeling is quite strong at the beginning of quarantine. This phrase is really an adaption of a line from a book called The Plague by a famous Algerian French philosopher, Albert Camus, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature, by the way, so he wasn't just one of those annoying French people who like to say a lot. He was actually an important and very considered writer. His book is very interesting about the plague, and it kind of just talks about the phases that people go through in dealing with it. And those phases seem to match historically the reactions, as far as we know, that people had with different pandemics and plagues, if we're going to use that word, throughout history. The fact is, though, that the world 
is always changed by pandemics and the world is not going to be what it was a few months ago. That's becoming very, very clear to those of us in Italy who are seeing how this is not just a few weeks of inconvenience. This is weeks and months and no doubt a year of radical epochal change. The sort of radical change that the practicing life must meet and match in terms of its ferocity, in terms of its challenges. Now, if the world will not be what it once was, for many, this may actually come as a form of relief. Many desire the world to be destroyed and remade in some image they nurture inside their imagination or fantasy. For others, instead, it can pose terror, fear, and worry. In fact, much of the discourse online in Italy is about anxiety in managing it. Loosely speaking, though, in Italy there have been three categories of response to the coronavirus so far. Those who embrace the disruption to the dysfunctional and impossible status quo, those who shit their pants, and those who see the pandemic as a momentary distraction from business as usual. So they are those people that experience it as a mere annoyance. You may want to take those three as um, reflections of, well, the old classic we've talked about here on the podcast too, pretty basic Buddhist teaching, right? Yeah, desire, fear, and indifference. Each is an interesting reaction, to use old Ken McLeod's term, but maybe we should try a response instead. And who seem to be the most useful thinkers in terms of the history of the Great Feast? Well, there are a number of them. But the ones that jump to my mind are the Stoics. Well, hey, the Stoics can help us not just to survive the coronavirus, quarantine, the challenges to the normalcy of our lives, whether personal connection, relationships with others, as we're asked to keep distance and not have physical contact. Our work, our employment, uh, radical change is going to affect almost everybody, wherever you're listening from as it already has here, from teaching online to working at home and all the disruption that creates to families and the spaces we inhabit. If your quarantine goes as far as ours, well, we're at the point now where you can't even go outdoors for a walk or a jog, and all the shops are closed apart from food shops, pharmacies, and um, that's about it, really. So all of the things you might normally be able to do, well, you just can't do them anymore. Even Amazon here in Italy has basically said that it will only ship out essentials. So for a while I bought, well, various items I needed to do jobs around the house and I can no longer get that either. Even in the garden downstairs we can't buy seeds or get soil. So we're quite limited in what we can do. Everything's changing. Everything's limited. And being stuck at home in quarantine is a new experience for almost all of us. For you introverts out there, you may secretly desire it, but you'll be challenged too. And I find myself uh, increasingly tactile with everything in my home, really, because touch is so fundamental to who we are. And we're being asked by the circumstances of the pandemic to not touch, to not reach out, to not share intimacy. But what would the Stoics do? How would they see this as an opportunity, as an invitation to engage? Well, I'd like to make one point and then say something about a couple of famous Stoics. The other week I watched um, part of a program called The Big Question on British TV through YouTube, and it was talking about mindfulness, amongst other things. 
and there was a nun on there. I don't know which tradition she was part of. I suspect she may have been part of that damn NKT. But anyway, she was a classic image of decision, ideological identification, and the arrogance and snobbery of those inside that kind of condition who believe they have the answers. And you poor folk are just too ignorant to grasp the great truths that they are privy to. Well, fortunately, there was another person on the show who really is worth our time. And in fact, I've invited her onto the podcast. And she said, yes, her name is Dr. Ashley Frawley. Hopefully that will take place as long as she doesn't come down with the flu, or the coronavirus, I should say. But she made a point which resonates, I think, with Stoics and is worth repeating here. She said that this idea of retreating into the self, which is so common amongst mindfulness and the more dysfunctional facets of contemporary Buddhism, is really the wrong approach. In fact, suffering is part of life, and this weird, perverse, neurotic search for happiness is is bound to create problems, and any Buddhist tradition trying to sell that as a way to go forwards, as the NKT always has, is only going to create problems and dysfunction. Dr. Frawley made the point that suffering is actually what makes life worth living, and in fact, what we should do is choose to engage with suffering as willing subjects, doing so in order to feed a project which takes us beyond ourselves. And this is one of the keys to living quarantine well, having time, being forced to look more closely at home and the community around you, means that many people are remembering the simplicity of caring about those closer to home and spending less time on social media, getting caught up in all the bullshit of polarisation and all the rest. But what would the Stoics tell us? What can they tell us right now? Well, let's pay a little bit of attention to two in particular. So the Stoics... They're not against training your mind, of course, and they're not against staying calm. In fact, they would encourage us to remain calm in the face of adversity. Stoics are in great part concerned with character, resilience and courage, though. Not retreat, neutrality, the observer looking down upon the mere suffering of themselves or others, or seeking a quiet mind. Stoics are engaged with the challenges of their time, or our time right now, and they welcome them. They welcome them as a training ground. And this kind of proactive approach is incredibly effective, in my view, for dealing with even the simple day-to-day difficulties that will emerge for all of you as quarantine begins and goes on and deepens and hardens. One of the things I realized relatively soon in the first week of quarantine, that a plan was essential for me, my son, and my wife to actually successfully live together in a harmonious manner. The first days of DIY involved me setting up a station for my son in his bedroom and uh, a place where he could study and play his games. My wife got a spot in our bedroom and I occupied a space in the living room. Unfortunately, our apartment is large enough for that to be workable. But that was an immediate relief, and it may be obvious to some of you to do this kind of thing, but again, we are creatures of habit, and sometimes the obvious is not as obvious as some of us might think. Carving out your own space is essential. So is a daily routine. So we have fitness training every day, sometimes together, sometimes apart. We have pleasure time every day too. This has been a great thing, actually, in spite of all the hardship and all the terror, listening to music, dancing together, soaking up the sun, 
doing simple things. These are really, really good keys for a family to live well together in quarantine. But you can do it on your own too. And um, I do feel for you living on your own if you're going to be in quarantine long term. The other thing we've been doing, which I mentioned on Twitter recently, is having the aperitivo, the afternoon snack and drink, usually pre-dinner, um, through the internet, Zoom, Skype, whatever you like. Um, it's great. Relatives in England we've done it with, friends here in Trieste that we can't see physically. But more on the Stoics, right? More on the Stoics. What else are Stoics concerned with? Well, crisis, yeah? Crisis as opportunity. Circumstances don't make the man or woman or whatever you might define yourself as. They only reveal him to himself. Now, those are not my words, of course, and I'm going to have difficulty pronouncing this guy's name is Epictetus or Epictetus. That sounds about right, doesn't it? Those were his words. Wow. We don't hear that much anymore, do we? So that's not a very popular sentiment in this day and age, is it? But maybe it will be soon, because you know what it's like when the rich and the affluent, and yes, we are that, if we live in the Western world, have too much time on their hands, they tend to invent problems or exaggerate problems that exist into things far greater than they actually are. Well, the pandemic is bringing reality home to roost. The number of people dying and the economic situation is going to make that clear very soon to pretty much everybody. And in fact, uh, some of the Stoics lived through a time of plague or pandemic themselves. How about Marcus Aurelius? Yeah, he's probably got to be the most famous Stoic to the non-reader of philosophy. Well, he lived through a plague called the Antonine or Antonine Plague, somewhere around 165 AD. That was a, a pandemic that wiped out a third of the population, and he survived it. Another Stoic that had a fair few things to say that might be helpful to us was Seneca. He's also pretty famous to the lay reader. Well, here's a great phrase from him. We are often more frightened than hurt. And we suffer more in the imagination than reality. Wow. Now there is a powerful phrase. And one aspect that we've had to face early on here in Italy, and that I can see many of you facing now, is the ridiculousness of opinion. Yes, there's fake news, there's fake facts, and there's various um, so-called experts. Some of them are actual experts, sure, but many are well, knowledgeable in one area and then go around the internet claiming that they somehow know something about this virus when actually, collectively, we know a few things and we are seeing real-world consequences coming about and that's where we're at. And it's good to speak to those. Even things like, should you wear a face mask? Well, we've had some experts or virologists claim that the face masks are useless. But of course, that's simply not true. In China, they've noticed that actually... It has a powerful effect, and figures out today from Japan show exactly the same thing. So you really need to be careful about the opinions you consume. In fact, Stoics prized rational thought and acting on good information. Conspiracy theory really has no place within a pandemic. They also would support a contemplation of reality. No, not meditation necessarily contemplating the reality of the situation you're in, rather than acting from a place of panic and anxiety. You can see why these Stoics might be worth paying attention to, right?
And just to amplify how great these guys were and still are, and we should treat them as our distant but worthy ancestors, Marcus Aurelius, he dealt, well, with his own negativity, and just think about the circumstances he had to face, by recognising that the universe is fundamentally change, and that our life is, in great part, what our thoughts make of it. Now, the New Age loved that idea, of course, and they turned that into a sort of narcissistic orgy of self-celebration. But here we might see it more in terms of aligning your own thinking with the real, with reality, with facts and not fiction and not stories. Many of those making strong claims are really doing so from their own desire to see the situation evolve in one direction and not another. So that's quite subtle, right? A conspiracy theory might be easy to identify. Fake news might be relatively obvious if you're one of those smart people that knows how to distinguish fake news from, well, relatively well-informed news. But what can be difficult is how even our experts can get caught up in the desire to see a situation evolve in that way instead of this way, and therefore will use their expertise to, well, nullify a reality which is showing them also to have an inadequate grasp of what's emerging and taking place. Now, one thing about the Stoics is that they are not rugged individualists. They actually recognize that we are social animals. And their belief was that we were created in many ways to connect and support and live together. And I think this is one of the great antidotes to the problem and the problems that can arise within quarantine. The anxiety that emerges is often about ourselves or our family, and I think the Stoic approach can be married nicely to kindness and to a desire to feed the good. And old Marcus would agree with that. I think one of his lines, if I remember correctly, was something like, do good to your fellow creatures and bear with them. And that's a beautiful sentiment. One of the things that we've started doing ourselves is ordering food locally. The supermarkets are open, but um, the people suffering the most and that will suffer the most are your local shopkeepers. So while you can shop from them, uh, many of our um, local shops and restaurants are developing home delivery services because that's still allowed and we are supporting them too. Shopping for your neighbors is an obvious one. But also, you know, connecting to people you haven't seen for a while through Zoom or Facebook or whatever. Uh, people you, you know that may not be so sociable, that are on their own. It's good to connect to them. And um, the internet really and the virus is demanding that we all develop more creative ways to engage online. And I think for many of you, that means two things. One, paying more attention to those in your immediate environment and making your online engagement on Twitter and whatnot more meaningful and feeding that good and bearing with others. As Seneca said, wherever there is a human being, there is an opportunity for a kindness. And one of the consequences so far here is a return to a humanity, right? Pain and suffering usually allows us to see each other more deeply and to care again. And just one point about that. The Chinese recently sent over a group of doctors and experts on the virus with supplies to Italy. It's very touching, actually. 
Uh, Cuba's actually just done the same with a bunch of doctors, as has Russia. And um, I can tell you, this um, there's a tangible feel in the air here that I find very moving. Uh, I'm often driven to tears, actually, just by the the realness of the situation we're in. Not sadness, but uh, appreciation for what we can do as a global community. One of the problems with anxiety and the conspiracy theories is it kind of pushes people towards negativity and anger and a desire to maintain the boundaries that solidify us and them. And although we don't need to fall into the sort of silly, childish fantasies of utopian togetherness, real acts of kindness locally, nationally and globally are are to be appreciated and welcomed. And interestingly enough, because interconnection is everywhere and we can celebrate this as a wonderful moment of that, the Chinese wrote a phrase by Seneca on the boxes of supplies that arrived here in Italy last week. Interesting, huh? And this is what was written on there, a famous phrase by Seneca, so not one of their own Taoist or you know, Chinese saints. or, And it was this, We are waves of the same sea, leaves of the same tree, flowers of the same garden. One thing that's certainly true of the Stoics is that they knew how to appreciate life. Here's one more golden phrase from Seneca, because these guys have got lots of them. Nothing, to my way of thinking, is a better proof of a well-ordered mind than a man's ability to stop just where he is and pass some time in his own company. Well, yes, we're all going to be doing lots of that. To go back to Camus for a second, his book on the plague can be read as a metaphor for the spreading of viruses more generally. He wrote the book somewhere around 1940, maybe 1947, if I remember correctly. Camus had just seen the Second World War, the effect of the Nazis, of fascism, totalitarianism, an ideology more broadly, which of course functions like a virus. Lots of mind viruses are accompanying COVID-19, and the point of the Stoics would be that we should resist them. Camus resonates with that thought because he sees a connection between physical and psychological infection. But just remember what he said. An epidemic should not be mistaken for an annoyance. Take the Stoics' advice and live it as an opportunity to engage. Plagues and pandemics tend to heighten our awareness of our vulnerability and powerlessness to plan and shape the future. So what better way to face that than with bravery and with courage and with care for your fellow man? A couple of other thoughts as well. One of the things that's helped us manage the collective anxiety around us, as well as having a plan, which I mentioned before, exercise, feeding pleasure and joy, fundamental of your parents, right? However old your kids are, but also for yourselves, is to slow down, slow everything down and connect. Connect to the spaces you inhabit, connect to each other. Explore again the simplicity of everyday intimacy with those you can touch, you can connect to, 
you can sit shoulder to shoulder to, hand in hand with. But towards yourselves too, we have to wash our hands now. Yeah, 20 seconds apparently. You can explore that as an act of intimacy. Washing your hands is not a an anxious act of ensuring you don't have the virus attached to your fingers that you must expel, but an act of tenderness and intimacy in which you really connect to care. Care for yourself, care for your family, and care for your community. In fact, that's the healthiest way you can view this whole situation. Some people have already said you should act as if you've already got the virus, but that that's quite a big ask psychologically. Could lead to paranoia. Yeah? Instead, if you take these all as acts of care, then you're actually expressing karuna, right? Compassion, appreciation. You're actually connecting to your duty to care for self and for others and for life. Share culture and choose wisely. So having more time stuck at home, it would be easy to get lost in Netflix, Amazon Prime and social media. But if you slow down, you might start to notice that much of that is, well, it's like fast food for the mind, isn't it? Yeah. Take this time to actually nurture your brain and your heart and your imagination with something more fulfilling. Educate yourself. Connect to culture. The century of the self is dying. That's no bad thing. So fuck the excesses of individualism. We've seen a kind of reaction to that and this obsession with identitarian groups, okay, which is really just another expansion of individualism. That's tribalism for you, right? We actually need a vision and a sense of connection to the wider community, which doesn't differentiate between skin color and the rest, and uh, feed that as best you can. Finally, if you don't mind me being all coach-like for a moment, it is springtime, right? It's just arrived. And symbolically, it's a good time to clear out the bullshit as you clean your homes. We've just had a spring clean, and I have to say, it was great fun. Clear out your bullshit, brush it out the door, do some good to the local community, whether that's family, friends, or your nation, by getting rid of some of it. I'm going to finish with a few predictions about the consequences of this virus. Feel free to add your own. Be wary of anybody making predictions. That includes me. <laughs> One thing worth saying is that we really need to learn to live well this kind of crisis and not just react and not survive. The language of battle, of war and survival is very strong at the moment and it's interesting because I think what we need in great part is much of what's been missing, which is culture, knowledge that goes beyond the mere pragmatic. A lot of the conflicts that have taken place within the first part of our century are about a tension between that kind of survival, battle-orientated worldview and the profound need we have to feed culture. Culture as widely as you can imagine culture to be, from education to health to care to our relationship with the natural environment and to ourselves as individuals and families and groups and nations within a globalized world. We live in a time in which the personal is now becoming dangerous, right? You go outdoors, you've got to avoid people. This is probably going to leave a lasting scar on all of us and on communities, which is why I made that point before about intimacy and maintaining connections and building connection. That's the antidote to the anxiety and phobias that might 
be developed as a consequence of the new rules of social distance. We may find also the emergence of a new kind of patriotism. We're still struggling with notions of uh, nationalism and patriotism, but of course we need it, right? We need some sense of togetherness at the local and national level. A lot of our best-intentioned, wonderful liberals have pushed for a global culture, and of course that can only work in part. It's a bit of a fantasy, it's a utopian desire, and it cannot be fully realised. We might say that that's a facet of an imagined global culture which must sit alongside some kind of patriotism. If you don't have patriotism, there's just not enough meaning and connection at the national level. And we've got to find a way to make that happen, which is healthy and functional, and not just about asserting a national identity in opposition to some other out there. Healthy community is fundamental to healthy societies. And many are saying that that may actually emerge out of this crisis. This obviously will lead to, or have to, accompany a decline in the obsessive and bloody annoying polarization we've been seeing. May that be the case? Pandemics and real-world disaster tend to put everything into perspective. And when you've got 700 people dying on a Saturday here in Italy, well, pronouns and bathrooms and obsession with purity of race no longer seems that important, does it? Just to put another thing in perspective, there are so many people dying in Lombardy, the region where Milan lies, the great fashion industry, that the army have basically had to come in, pick up dead bodies, and take them onto other regions in order to cremate them, because they've just gone beyond their capacity in that region. Think about that for a second. All of those dead folks, and then not just old people, sorry, if that's your hope, people in their 50s, people in their 40s, are dying too. And of course this is a quarantine, so none of their family can be there for them. Think about that, that breaks my heart. Your mother, your wife, your brother dies. You can't be there with them and hold their hand. You can't be there at the funeral. You can't say goodbye. These kinds of national and global crises tend to lead to greater solidarity and functionality, and may that be the case. Another thing that's interesting is experts, in spite of me critiquing some of them before, are making a comeback. Fake news, all of these opinionated people claiming this and that about the virus. It's just the flu. The symptoms are not that important. It's just old people dying. You don't need masks. It won't affect me. Bollocks. The real experts are the people fighting on the front line to keep people alive, to save lives, the doctors, the scientists working with them directly to work on viruses, understand the nature of this virus. These are the new experts and they matter. Accompanying all this then is also reduction in excessive individualism. Hyper-individualism, therefore neoliberalism, may finally be dying. And thank God for that. We're going to see major consequences to everything moving online as well. The good and the bad of doing so will become ever more evident. Yes, in America, there may be more of an advanced culture of online life, but they're going to be venturing into new territory soon as things heat up over there. But we're seeing that too in Italy as well. The ingenuity and creativity that tends to accompany a real crisis produces all sorts of innovations that we just can't think of or imagine as yet. 
one line of thought might be, going back to what I said about being making meaningful connections and relations online, is asking ourselves what we can authentically offer and then asking what do people actually need here instead of just throwing around opinions and supporting our tribes. Those governments which are promoters of fake news because it supports their agendas, mostly their right wing, Trump and uh, Bolsonaro and you know various um, relatively far-right parties in Europe are beginning to face the consequences of science denial and their anti-intellectualism. We're seeing that the mistakes being made are primarily caused by that kind of attitude. And it could be that the pandemic actually destroys that capacity of those governments to carry on dealing in bullshit. Let's hope so, huh? Will this lead to the end of Trump? Well, that's debatable. Um, if you look at history, even incompetent governments and leaders generally do very well when there's a crisis and tend to survive. Their ratings tend to go up, and we might see that with Trump too. And of course, we still tend to forget things very, very quickly. So the mistakes made by Trump and Boris Johnson and others, if they manage to get on board with the right approach, well, their early mistakes will probably be ignored. So don't bet on Trump being taken out of power. Another thing, prices are going up, yeah? Globalization is being challenged fundamentally at all levels by this pandemic. We're not going to get rid of it, but it's going to be altered dramatically and forevermore by this event. We're already seeing the consequences of the most neoliberal countries and their policies of privatizing everything and shifting the manufacturing base of essential medicines uh, offshore. American Britain, unfortunately, may end up suffering the worst consequences of this virus due to the policies of doing so. We're already seeing many countries talk about bringing back the manufacturing of vital medicines and equipment. And I think we might see a greater nationalization or national policy promoting that. And it's about time, of course. We're probably going to see less mass consumption. One thing that might actually happen, though, is an appreciation for the need for universal basic income and uh, greater social care and greater intervention by the state. And of course, we might see a mini baby boom. If you guys end up staying at home for several weeks and then months, well, probably see a bunch of kids being born, right? In nine months. Finally, to finish, because I don't want to go on too long. If we go back to the Stoics and Camus, one thing we're going to have to deal with in long-term quarantine is boredom and habit. And being proactive will help with that. But what we might see as well, if we take the Stoics seriously, is the creation of a more rational worldview, which is far more connected to the reality of our circumstances, both environmental and communal, and the recognition that we really don't live for very long. The fragility of life, of course, is a reminder of the reality that we do die, and we don't know when. And although many of us have fantasized about that through Buddhist meditation, I still tend to believe that that fantasy is quite distinct from the real thing. Reality tends to wake us up far more than most practices we can engage in. And if we're lucky, this global crisis, this pandemic, will wake us up. And there's your timing. I wish you all the best in quarantine times. 
The podcast will continue. Hopefully you found something worth listening to in this short podcast. And let's face this time of epochal change, of a paradigm shift, with courage, with bravery, and see it as an opportunity to feed the good. Bye for now, folks.